This is Kevin. And this is Ron. And this episode of Your Valuable Home is brought to you by Provia. Provia, a faith-based company that makes entry doors, storm doors, patio doors, vinyl and wood-clad vinyl windows, vinyl siding, manufactured stone, and metal roofing, all of incomparable quality. Welcome to Your Valuable Home, the weekly podcast for listeners who believe that residential real estate is the way to build wealth. Hi, I'm Kevin Kennedy, a working contractor and host of Your Valuable Home. Your Valuable Home is for homeowners and investors alike who want to acquire and improve real estate based upon educated decisions. And I'm Ron Milk, Your Valuable Home producer and co-host. Our weekly one-hour podcast is not about doing it yourself. It's about hiring the right contractor to do the right job at the right price. And it's not about flipping. It's about buying and holding to build wealth. Homeowners and investors who strive to create wealth and financial freedom with real estate and avoid costly home improvement mistakes. Your valuable home is for you. The Project Replay made redoing our kitchen and bath trouble-free. Your horror stories have kept us from hiring the wrong contractors. The college segments have taught us how to keep toxins out of our home, what to look for in replacement windows, how to borrow sensibly against home equity, and more. College teaches investors like me how to freshen up my rentals without spending a fortune. Their suggestions are great for ROI. It's time for Your Valuable Home. Kev, today we've got a new show, yep. new podcast, new day, and we're going to talk about something we probably should have talked about before. That's permits. P-E-R-M-I-T-S. Permits, right? Definitely should have been talking about this a while ago because, number one, you need them. And number two is one of the problems is a lot of people are complaining because it's more difficult to get the permits. That's what we're seeing more and more of every well, day. Well, you see that here. It's not necessarily that way across the country, right? No. no hey, believe me, I would love to hear contractors or inspectors to come on the show and just tell me what their permit process is and you know what are the thoughts are to contractors. What are they doing to get it and is it the ease of getting a permit make it a lot easier for contractors to go get them let's start with this question when do you need a permit if you're doing work on your house what prompts you to get a permit well certain townships vary some are just a little bit more of the money making but roofing here's what i understand about roofing is that every township and i hate to throw everybody under the bus but they get a roofing permit it's a money generator because i've yet to see any inspector to go out what, and what's a roofing work. permit normally cost in this area uh, i think it costs anywhere from 85 dollars to 125 dollars Mm-hmm. Uh, depending on what it is. But my question is, and I always ask every one of them, I'm like, these are, the inspectors don't know because they're not the ones making the, the rules to that point, is that they're not going out to inspect the work. But again, what are we talking about? Minimal damage or minimal coverage that's going to be applied by the roofing company? Because nobody's doing it right anyway. So I always tell people this, I mean, you're getting a permit for the roof, whether you got the permit or not, nobody's getting up there to inspect it. Number two, you got to ask two questions. Number one, is the ice shield done properly to you're never going to have a problem instead of just putting a drip edge metal, which is a minimal coverage. And number two is, are they inspecting to replace the flashing that's there? You mean the township inspectors? Yeah, the township the inspector. Mun- munis- the inspectors from the municipality, wherever it is. Across right? the board, I have yet to see, and again, this is me personally, but if you think you're getting inspections where you have people coming out, I'd love to hear it. I mean, I'd love to hear good, positive stories. But when people are calling the show and say, listen, we got ripped off, the roof's leaking. Well, why? Uh, well, they forgot to put the flashing in. They did get a permit. Well, yeah, but the permit is just more of a moneymaker for that. What I do So is what I- you're saying is inspectors aren't inspecting. For certain things. Okay. Now, I do kitchens and bathrooms, and you need a permit for that. I'm putting new electric in, I'm moving plumbing, so sometimes bearing walls. And I so what, what, just run them down for me. What are, what are the top five reasons you would get a permit? What are the top five home improvement projects that would require a permit? Uh, making sure the job's done right. Now, right doesn't mean the quality of the job, but making sure what it's done right. What kind of job? Right. What kind of job? Let's talk about a kitchen. Okay. So it's all the under inspections that you're seeing. Make sure if you have a beam that's going in, make sure it's done properly according to the specifications of an architect. 
what they're doing is once you build it, then an inspector's going to come for out. Structural work. You need a permit for structural Anything work. structural, you need okay. it. Uh, electrical. I mean, how many times have we done horror stories where people are doing jobs, these handyman electricians, and when they're doing the job, they're just hacking it up, stealing neutrals, cutting in splices, flying splices. We see it all the time. We're ripping out. And these are jobs that were just, they had handyman coming to do it, but they don't get permits for it. But it's the same when people. So if they don't get permits, the township engineer has no clue what's going on. They do not. And if they don't know, how do you know as a homeowner that it was done and done correctly? Code is a very minimal coverage that needs to be covered. So how hard is it to get a permit? For me, the hardest thing is getting the permit itself. Doing the job is not that hard because if you do it right, and in over 33 years, I've met a lot of inspectors. I push them to show my work because inspectors get a little weary when you're like, hey, did you see everything? Now get out. I'm pushing them. Did you look at my fire stop? And look at the, the way we ran the wires, the plumbing, everything we did. Because when I show you all that, I'm proud of what we did and how great of a job we've done, whether I'm using my electrician or a plumber or anybody that I'm doing or myself, to see the workmanship. Now, I know it's good, but it gives a peace of mind into the homeowner that the job's done right. Mm -hmm. But what I'm hearing is the contractor's like, well, it's, it's a little more difficult to get the permit, so we're just going to bypass that step. We're just going to do it. What are you doing? Nobody really knows. So let me ask you this. Somebody's looking to buy a house. The market we know right now is sort of like stagnant. Correct. Right? Nothing moving right now. If you look and buy a house and somebody put on an addition where they did structural work in the kitchen, which would be evident, should you ask for the permit? Well, you, you ask to see the permit because you don't know what's behind the walls if you don't see the permit, right? Correct. Yeah, correct. Okay. Because some people always complain about home inspectors. And like, ah, they, they missed this outlet or they did this. I'm like, well, they don't have x-ray vision. There's nobody they can see behind the walls. But with that addition that was applied for, just a recent addition, say in the past 10 years, you could do two options. You can ask the homeowner because they should have a copy of the permit. Or you yeah. can go to the township building. Say, listen, I'm purchasing a home. There was an addition applied. I just want to make sure that there was a permit and it was done and finalized and all put away during the permit process. And they'll be able to give you that saying, yeah, there was a permit applied. So the other piece of advice here is that if you did it right, you went by the book, you have the permit, after the job's done, don't throw the permit away, save it in case somebody wants to see it, correct? And take pictures. Whether the job's done correctly or not, it's always nice to have pictures. Hey, look what they did under Yeah, I do. I, this I, I is, did that. I did, I've done that for everything I've done in my house. Look, the technology's there. Take a picture of your phone, just put it in, put it on a disc or a thumb drive and you're done. And this is, it makes it so simple. You then can see what it was done. And number two is if you get the permit, it makes it a lot easier for the transition for when somebody's selling a house. It was funny in our township where, we, where I live, you had to get permits. And after a while, these new homes that were being done, there was no permits applied for certain homes. So what they started to do was to try to make sure it was done correctly to protect homeowners is they started doing a cell inspection. So you're ready to sell your house. The inspector would come in. If you have a basement done, well, it's a brand new house. They already have the permit and the house is three years old. Well, they know there was no permit pulled for the basement. Right. So they make people get a permit. Now, of course, when a permit's done after the basement's done, it's not as easy as you think. No, you can't see anything behind the walls. Correct. Is it fire stopped? And when you do electric, when you run the wire up through that, that's got to be fire stopped. So the amount of work that you're going to do, oh, it's going to be immense. It's not an easy fix. Get the permit in the beginning. It's not hard to do the work. Mm -hmm. You're going to run into problems, but if you know what you're doing, it's very easy to do. You need a permit if you do anything structural, if you do electricity, if you do plumbing. plumbing? Yes. What else? If you're doing, say, windows, and you're increasing oh, the windows? size of it open. Increasing the size of the opening windows. So that's really four, four different situations. Are there any more uh, critical situations? Well, I mean, you're how about, a, how, about a, how about a deck? How about a, <laughs> a deck? deck? Okay. How about a patio? Patio. How about yeah. a new walkway? Yeah, because what you're doing is changing the pervious surface. 
So it's impervious surface, pervious surface. You got to watch what you're doing because you can't just cover your whole house in patio and expect a, the township to be okay. Yeah, when with I did that. mine, I had because I increased the width of it, uh, right? Not the length, but the width, and I had to, I, I got a permit for it. You need a permit pretty much for everything mm-hmm. that you're going to do, and the reason why you want to do it is just to make sure you're doing everything by the book. It's not hard to do, but at this way, the township knows they're on board with it. Because if you get caught, the problem is it's worse than asking for forgiveness when you do the job. So get the permit. You would need a permit, for instance, if you put in a new HVAC system, right? No. no because Even they, if it's beefed up? Uh, no, because all they're doing is just sometimes, I mean, here's what they do. Some townships do require because they want to do a load calc to make sure that you're getting the right unit. So load calc is making sure that unit is specified for that size house. Even if you so beef it up, you don't care. How put, do you know whether to get the permit or not? For a new HVAC system. Call the township building. Call the township. Some townships require it, some don't. Mm-hmm. Painting's the only thing I know that you don't need any permits for. Now, in the state of Pennsylvania, which I did it, I wasted some money on this because they never check it now, is if you're doing painting and lead paint certifications, you need to be lead paint certified. Now, we don't work on homes that are old. <laughs> That's something yeah, that, I don't uh, do. That goes back to what, 74? 70, yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay. 1974 or somewhere in that area. But if you're doing lead paint and you're disturbing the lead paint that's on the, the trim of the house, you have to be lead paint certified and mm-hmm. you have to do all these extra steps that are going into that. Oh, I know. Yeah. So I don't work on old homes. I do mostly homes that are built in the 90s and up because I, I just don't want to deal with it. But I so am you don't lit- work on like Victorian homes, right? Not a chance. Not, and I, I won't do painting. I mean, I'd rather watch grass grow than, than do painting. I should get somebody else to do the painting. Mm-hmm. I'll just paint the stuff that I'm doing. But every job that I've lined up for the next six months to eight months, they're all new homes. Mm-hmm. So newer homes being from 1990 and on. Right. Older homes get to be a little bit more difficult when you get a, a 50s, 40s, Well, you never know home. what you're going to find. Um, yeah, but sometimes they have the old plaster. Listen, I'm doing the rip out myself. Uh, Dave and I, actually, I better say Dave because he's the rip out on the cleanup guy. Yeah, I'm getting a little bit older. So I like to do homes that it's a little bit easier to rip out. And a lot of the jobs we're doing are neater to do. Some of the new technology coming out, we're always getting our hands on. Mm-hmm. But I get a permit. Like, I got the next job coming up that we're going to do, and it's a kitchen. We're leaving all the drywall. All we're doing is pulling the cabinets out and putting them back in again. No plumbing so change. Same footprint. Same footprint. Okay. And that was the- No uh, permit required. No, 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 because I'm putting electric in, and uh, I have to cap the lines. That was that permit I just showed you before it came on the air. Okay. So I have a few more things to do. They just keep asking to do things. Uh-huh. So it gets a little bit cumbersome, but you know what you're doing. I don't fail inspections. I know what I'm doing, but it's just sometimes it's difficult for some townships because they just are going- a little overboard on dotting the I's and crossing the T's. What would be the reason why a permit gets hung up? Because they have too much work to do? What is it? I really don't know. Well, when you ask the question, where, it's been two months, where's my permit? What they well, say? they have 15 days upon look at. There's a 15 day, and that's in the state of Pennsylvania. They have to do something. They have to turn it around pretty quickly after that 15 days. You can't just string somebody along. Oh, so they, they have this requirement. That's a, Where it, the township guys got to act. They got to act on it. Okay. And that's what you want to do because the township is working for the people in that township. And if the contractor is providing that, it's not on cocktail napkins. I'm, I'm putting the permit in. I'm giving 2020 plans. I'm giving you my license, my insurance. We have all the proper everything. I submit it all at once. Who You file for the permit for your customers, right? Right. So what I do, and this is what every homeowner should do, is the contractor should be applying for it. Number one, so you're looking at, they make sure they have workman's comp insurance. So when I put it in, they want to see my workman's comp. The state doesn't require it. Go figure on that. They don't care if you fall off the roof of the state, but yeah, the local townships. I don't understand that. but and It's expensive. And this is not, a, it's my most expensive insurance, but mm-hmm. I provide all that. So I tell people, whatever the cost of the permit is, because you as the homeowner are going to get a copy of it. So you'll see whatever the bottom line number is. We just add that to the bill. Because nobody knows what really the permits. It's a fee setup that they do. Mm-hmm. And that's what the revision was. They just wanted what I was doing and an amount of how much that's going to cost. 
and townships will incorporate that cost into the fee to the permit. Mm-hmm. So whatever that fee is, I don't know. I just tell people I applied for it. It's done. Here we go. I do all the permits. I do the setup inspections. We handle everything from that point. Homeowners shouldn't be doing it because that's not their job. So that's why I say, well, get the most permit. of them wouldn't understand what to do, you know, mm-hmm. and it could just hold up the whole job because they put it in wrong. have to put it in again and eventually ask the contractor, what do I do here? Right. Right. So what I always tell people is that when your contractor says you, you go get the permit. Why is that? I know. Well, maybe because he doesn't have workman's comp. Maybe he doesn't want to licensed. reveal certain things. <clears throat> exactly. There you go. Exactly. So, and you can do that. It'll say on most of the permits that you're the homeowner, you're checking it off. But if you're going to be doing that, who's going to be working on the job? Mm-hmm. They just want to know who's doing the job. Sure. They just, because if there's something goes it might wrong. Be a, it might be a bad rap on some of these guys. And if, if you can pick up mm-hmm. on that early on, so bad stuff doesn't happen, it's worth it, right? Well, that, that's a that's a hard battle to fight because there's so many contractors. Um, we've been doing that, the bad guy bulletin. Uh, you got a lot of things out there that, that are getting exposed. And we've been doing it for how many years and how many horror stories? Thousands of them. Well, we haven't been doing a bad guy bulletin. About 500 horror stories now. Yeah. In the time that we've been on broadcast radio and a podcasting. It's a lot of horror stories. Those are the ones that and, were just there. there's never going to be a shortage of horror stories. Never. Right. And I see it, but it's, it, it's getting bigger the horror stories are coming more and more as we speak, but they're not $500 horror stories. These are anywhere from $20,000 to 400000 we had mm-hmm. last year mm-hmm. that I personally seen. So yeah. when does that stop? That's why permits- I don't think it does stop. <laughs> well, it makes it great for the show, but it makes it harder for me being in, in business because a lot of times people are starting to get a little weary about contracts. It makes contractors. it harder for the customers who are getting bad deals. Right. Yeah. I was at an appointment last night and I was telling them, listen, we handle the permits, we do everything. Uh, here's what we have. And then we were just talking about it. And I said, when you're trying to get a permit or a, an estimate from the three other contractors, what are you getting? The guy looked at me, he's like, I don't know what you're talking about. I said, what are you getting? And he couldn't be. And I didn't tell him who I was. And I said, well, listen, here's, we do a show and I'm telling him what we did. And I said, it's going to be so hard for you to try to break down these estimates because it's so vague. But if, if somebody comes in, I'll give you a ballpark, say for a kitchen, if everybody's $50,000, you're not asking any questions. I noticed that I'm going to do it for 30000 and then we start ripping it out. I know the bearing walls rot it uh, on the outside. I know it's going to be, say, a $4,000 fix. And I sign for $30,000. I know it's going to cost $40,000. But I rip your whole house apart. And when I rip it all apart, I say to you, oh, by the way, there's some rot here that needs to be addressed. And this is a $20,000 fix. I'm walking off the job if you don't sign it. Because I presented it to you in the state of Pennsylvania. You better sign this because it's a change order. And if I do the change order... You've got to know about it. And if you don't sign it, I'm walking off the job. Well, who, you're going to sign it because your whole kitchen's torn apart. Right. And I said, by law, can I do that? He's like, no. I said, no, we can do that. That's what the law states. We're allowed to do that. Now, it's not ethical for us to do that, but they can do that. But that's why you sign with the guy because he was cheaper. Right. I said, there's the, the step-by-step process. I always tell people three things. Number one, what are you getting? What are you purchasing? Number two, what's the method of application? Number three, is the most important, who's doing the work? If you're not gonna feel comfortable with the contractor and check for referrals, which means going to jobs and talking to homeowners, or if you're in your neighborhood and you see some signs, go talk to those homeowners. Yeah, you're spending a lot of money, you should be thorough about it. Yeah, well, you, you figured it wouldn't be because that, that's why the horror stories, are, we have such a plethora of them today, but that, that's why I always recommend get the permit for the jobs if they're required, like painting, I know you're not, but permits are required for mostly everything. And the other piece but, of advice, don't try to avoid getting a permit. 
Okay, Kev, we got another horror story, another contractor horror story. What's going on now? You think it's a contractor. I think these are just handymen that are just think they can do work and get away with some of the stuff. Could they be, do. yeah. So I just happened to be at a job uh, just recently, and I was talking to the one of the painters that was there, and he's getting some additional work. He said, "Oh, you're the kitchen guy," and we we chatted for a good ten minutes. He goes, you want to see a real good horror story? This is what I got to fix. I said, what is it? So he said, well, you really got to see it to, to understand what you're going to be looking at because it's kind of funny. I said, just give me an idea. He's like, come on up. So we go upstairs. We're in the attic, second floor. There's an attic above us. And he's got to do all this patching. I said, what do you mean you got to do the patching? Was it a leak? He said, no, you, you'll come up. So it was literally a square that was cut out in between each joist bay. That said 14 and a half inches, a six by six square. Mm-hmm. And he said, what this electrician did was cut all these holes out to run the wire through in the attic. I said, there's just no way. He said, when you see it, you'll understand. When I went up there, they were all cut out. Every joist bay. It was 14 holes cut out because it was a long run. So is he weakening the joist? No, he just, he went over the joist. He went over the joist. So I said, I got two things here. Number one, if it was the first floor, you get a little tricky. You got to watch it because with my electrician has a, a long drill bit, a flexible one that goes through joists and you just kind of pull it every six feet because that's what mostly hi-hats are spaced apart. Mm-hmm. And the reason why I say they're six feet apart is because you don't want them too far because you get these dark spots. But I said, but up in an attic, he just had to climb up in the attic. He's like, well, there was a couple boxes in front of the door to crawl up into the attic. So he decided to cut the holes out to run the wire instead of going up in the attic and just kind of pull everything through and just do everything from the attic. Mm-hmm. He said, well, he was going to do that, but he said he, wanted, he was worried about drilling through it. I said, drilling through what? You're up in an attic. So I said, there's no plumbing lines in an attic. Right. You're not running plumbing up in an attic that just has a little bit of insulation in. It's not going to work because then you're going to have a rainfall. Yeah, it's going to freeze or crack or whatever, right? So, but I said, that's one thing to be done, but just get in the attic. He said, well, I, I, apparently he didn't want to do that because he didn't have to fix the drywall. So he went up and just started cutting holes everywhere to run lights. So, so what it did is it gave this painter probably about a day and a half worth of work additional. Just because this lazy handyman or subcontractor or somebody that did this job wanted to run wires and didn't want to get up in the attic and was too lazy to do it. How's that work out? I don't know. Now the homeowner's got to be the one paying for this. It's hard to know why any of these things go, go the way they I do. I would love to get my hands on them. Just have a talk with them. Just say, why did you do it this way? What were you doing earlier in life? Were you flipping burgers? Were you cutting along? What were you doing? Because this is not good what you're doing. So I didn't check the tie-ins. Now, when you're doing electric, that's why a good electrician is going to be able to do a job because he does it right. There are so many jobs that we did. I think it was recently, two months ago, we did a job where they had a handyman come in and he did flying splices everywhere. Do you remember that show? I said, these are dangerous. Yes. So when you put a wire that's not in a box and it's all exposed without any wire nuts on it and it's up in there, if that gets loose and starts sparking, it's going to catch that insulation and wood that's underneath. It could light it up on fire. Do you want to be in the house that's going to be as a good possibility doing it? No, no, no. So again, that's why getting inspections, getting permits to get it done and done right is a lot better for the homeowner because they know it's done right. So this could have been a two-part. I didn't have time to get up in the attic. I couldn't believe somebody who calls himself an electrician would go up there and cut all these holes out of somebody's second floor up to the attic to run wire and not just get up in the attic, get a ladder and just climb up there and and do it because there's a few boxes. Then you say to the owner, hey, listen, why don't you move the boxes? I got to get up there and I got to make sure this is done and done right. It sounded like he was just too lazy to do it. Yeah. But again, I didn't see the wire connections. I said, that's one thing I would Maybe be Maybe he was an older about. guy and he couldn't climb them that well. Well, you shouldn't be risking somebody's life over that. Absolutely because if not. Because yeah. you don't tie it in correctly and you did what this other guy did two months ago, you could have burned the house down. I mean, that other job, we took the, the backsplash off the 
tile guy, whoever's doing it, went over the electrical box, took the outlet and covered it over with tissue paper, took the outlet out, shoved the hot wires back in there without any connection but electrical tape, and then put tissue paper over it. I thought it was spackle. So the thin set that they're put on the wall, the mastic, right. for the tile to bond to has something to bond to. <laughs> it's in pictures. Just go so, to my social media, Instagram. Man, you, you can't think these things up. Just, no. And I tell people unreal. that. And I, so when the we have United, they're uh, our electrical inspection agency. When they came out, I was showing them the pictures. I said, look, look what they did here. He's like, oh, no, they didn't. I said, yeah, that's the, here it is. There's the spot. So... Uh, what we did is we cut it all out and we from the home run where the home run, which is a wire that comes from the box, where it goes up and starts to spread out through the, the kitchen, we took everything out. I said, take everything out because I don't want any problems because if we leave something in there that I know is a possible potential of harming somebody, I'd rather rip it out and redo it. So I told the home run, I said, listen, it's going to be about another $200 for this to work, but here's what we're going to rip out. Are you okay with that? <laughs> I had one person said, well, no, I kind of like the fire hazard of my house, so just leave it there. But this is what goes on. This is what goes on all the time. So if you're a plumber or electrician, you think you're a contractor, if you don't do the job right, please don't do it. You're affecting people's lives here. This is yeah. a life issue because you have probably possible electric, let alone the additional cost this homeowner's got to entail from this painter to patch all these holes. This isn't like a one-day, couple-hour fix. What would happen in a situation like that if it did cause a fire and it was investigated and would insurance pay for it? Well, here's the thing. Insurance does pay for it. I mean, look, they're paying for all these roofs that are, you know, the insurance fraud roofs, I call them. Hey, you have wind damage. You know there's no wind damage up there, but the guy comes down with shingles on your house. Uh, that's a billion-dollar industry right there. So with insurance companies, if they're paying that, why wouldn't they pay this? Insurance companies want to make sure that you're covered, but they should have a little bit more stringent regulations on who's doing the work because insurance is there for accidental. If you're hiring somebody that doesn't really know what they're doing, I always tell this the story when people talk about Hey, you know, I'm getting a roofer and uh, he doesn't have any insurance or workman's comp, but uh, we're going to use him anyway. And I said, well, listen, why don't you call your agent? Don't believe me. Call your agent. Say, hey, listen, I'm about to hire a guy. He's going to do my roof and has no insurance and no workman's comp to cover the guys. Should I hire him? No. Would you hire somebody with no, that? No, no, absolutely. But everybody no. loves this cheap price because that's what they're doing. They're cutting all this out. What's the risk that you're going to take? Then the next thing you know, how many times have we heard in the horror stories where fell off the roof, they're suing the homeowner, homeowner, then they got to get the insurance involved. Insurance companies are raising the premiums. That's one thing at least they're doing good. Because, again, the insurance is there for accidental, not for maintenance. So you're hiring a guy because he's cheaper to do a roof, but he's not protecting the investment of your property, you. So make sure he's got insurance to it. If you don't have insurance... What? Yeah, cheap is, cheap is risky in home improvements. It really is. I mean, if you, if you go for a low price, chances are something something's going to happen that you don't want to have happen. And now we've seen it with higher price too. Either you're going, it's going to be project creep, and you're going to get you're going to get you know up 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 as the project goes on, mm -hmm. more money, more money, more money, probably more than you would have spent with a guy who really gave you an honest estimate, or the guy that maybe doesn't got, just doesn't know what he's doing. And those are the people that or shouldn't be in this business. Or doesn't care about what he's doing. Well, a lot of people are seeing that these days. See, what they look at, remember we talked about code. Code is a very minimum coverage. It just meets to a minimum standard. Right. What we try to do is the finish work is the exceptional part. So when we're doing a kitchen like we're doing right now, yeah, we did all the exceptional part inside, but we're also going to do it on the outside, which you don't see. The trim work that we're putting on the paint, I, I'm the one doing all that. So I'm going to be doing the painting. Dave's going to be installing the cabinets. I'm putting in the doors. I want that to be perfect. But that's something where the homeowners see. The homeowners don't see the underlayment, what I did. That's where the inspector comes in to make sure I, I did it correctly. So he looks at it, and it's a peace of mind for the homeowners that what they can't see has been inspected and done right to code. And mm -hmm. that's what we try to strive with people that 
I don't do jobs without permits. If it requires a permit, do I'm it. going to do it. Absolutely. And homeowners should think the same way. Don't try to skirt that issue. Do you save what? 80 bucks, 90 bucks, 200 bucks? Doesn't yeah. make any sense. It, it really doesn't. It really <clears throat> yeah. doesn't. But that's what we talk about with a lot of people. Just making sure that if you're going to hire a contractor, do it right. Find it out. I mean, look, if you have questions, contact us here, Kevin at yourvaluablehome.net. Ask me. At least I'll guide you in the right direction so you have minimal chance of this happening to you. Right. All right, we'll be back after we take a quick break. Our sponsor, Provia, takes great pride in combining their state-of-the-art technology with old-world craftsmanship to deliver superior products for the exterior of any home. Personalized care on every order. So true and so apparent with their newest product, metal panels that have the texture and look of cedar shakes or slate. They come in four colors per style. Their shakes and slate can give any home sort of a rich look. And now you can get that look in Provia metal panels. That's news. That's big news. Provia stamp panel metal roofing is manufactured with 20-gauge Cycled steel built to withstand 180 mile per hour winds and cover their Provia way with a limited lifetime warranty. In other words, Provia metal roofing is one and done, right, Kev? It's the last roof you'll ever need. You got it. I love Provia doors, windows, siding, stone, and now metal roofing that doesn't have that industrial look. Provia makes everything it takes for that perfect home exterior, and they're always in tune with the trends and choices, profiles, colors, and finishes that homeowners love and make contractors like me look good. Learn more about Provia metal panels. Go to Provia.com. Click the product tab, then roofing. That's Provia.com, then product, then roofing. Okay, Ron, I know several times we talked about various forms of insurance, and what have we got today? Actually, we addressed two topics in our feature today. Topic one, as you know, Hurricane Ian caused havoc recently in Florida. We covered that. Uh, Yeah, devastating. Three shows on that. And there was a once in a 500-year flood along the Yellowstone River in Wyoming and Montana. Tornadoes in, of all places, where we live in Bucks County. You ever experienced that before? One or two. This year, it was like a whole spate of them. Yeah, know? it was like it was last year in 2021, we got hit. Where we live adequately insured against unexpected severe weather were the people along the Yellowstone River. I actually did a rafting trip down the Yellowstone this summer. It's only about 25 yards wide. It doesn't seem like a roaring river at all, but places where the banks were like 20 feet up, all the debris was piled up above the bank. The water had to really rush through. Our listeners got to be thinking you're a world traveler. You've been all over the place. Well, not really. I mean, uh, I've been to a couple places. I like to travel. I like to travel. (laughs) You learn. You learn things when you travel. That I know. You got to get out. You got to get out of uh, Richboro. I'm trying. I'm definitely trying. (laughs) Topic two is identity theft. Boy, it's a big problem today. According to the National Council on Identity Theft Protection, in 2021 there were 5.7 million reports of identity theft. That was it. Think about that. Up from 4.7 million in 2020. So the identity theft people are really hard at work trying to steal your money and your identity. So to cover both of these topics we have with us today, somebody's been on Your Valuable Home before, Mike Salucci, one of the principals in the independent insurance agency, Salucci Foran in Springfield, PA. Mike is no stranger to Your Valuable Home. Mike, welcome back. Thanks for having me, guys. Everybody's seeing more severe weather these days. Hurricanes, tornadoes, flooding, all that stuff. Are most people insured adequately against those events? So, I mean, a bit of a loaded question, but I would say most people that have traditional homeowners insurance policies and and a program that's put together the way that it should for hurricanes, tornadoes, wind, hail, you know, those are all normal perils, things that your homeowners policy would protect you against. And I say homeowners, but it could be other types of property if you have a commercial building or if you have a rental property or what have you. So for the most part, those pieces, flooding is the one that is kind of the gray area because, and it's, it's one that always challenges insurance companies and consumers trying to buy coverage because the towel is at the 
find and how did the water come in and all those types of things. So that's kind of where the gap most of the time falls. But you mentioned all those tornadoes in in Bucks County. People that had traditional homeowners insurance policies, their policies would respond and and cover the damage caused by the tornado. Talk about flood insurance. There are certain areas around here. We had 100-year floods and three times in one, two, three, boom, 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 three years in a row along the Delaware. Nobody expected that. And I'm sure nobody ever expected what happened along the uh, Yellowstone River this year. Would they be required to have, even though there's a river there, would they have been required to have flood insurance? So usually the only time that you're required to carry it is when there's a mortgage or some kind of loan on the property. And if you're in one of those high risk zones, the mortgage company will say, hey, you're in a high risk zone. We have interest in this property. You're required to carry flood insurance. If you don't have, if you're not in a high risk zone and there's flood maps and those flood maps change a little bit. So properties move kind of in and out of those, but the ones that are traditional, you know, along waters and banks and things that are kind of always going to be in those high-risk zones. If you don't have a loan, then it's up to you, whether you, the consumer, whether they want to carry the coverage. And unfortunately, when you're in a high-risk zone, the flood insurance is usually pretty expensive. So people are faced with that decision. If no one's making me carry it, should I in fact buy it? And it's one of those that, you know, it's not an easy decision because it's, it's somewhat limited in even what, how it helps and when it helps. And there's a bunch of exclusions. And so it's like, hey, if this is a pretty big premium and I got a whole bunch of exclusions in here. Like, is it worth doing this if nobody's making me do it? Well, you know, uh, we just, uh, we covered Florida. We found out that only a little bit over 15% of all homeowners in Florida have flood insurance. Right. So, and that, and that would be a high yeah, risk I mean, area, wouldn't it? Crazy. Wouldn't that be high risk? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, you know, in some high risk areas here, let's just like, kind of use round numbers. So maybe, you know, a homeowner's policy is, you know, fifteen, eighteen hundred dollars $1,800 a year. I'm just kind of using average numbers. You know, if you're in a high-risk flood zone, that flood insurance could be in excess of four or five thousand dollars a wow. year. So, you know, you more than double the cost of homeowners insurance. And again, and it's not as comprehensive as the homeowners does. So that's why it's it's not. It's sometimes it's just unaffordable for customers to buy. So hey, Kevin's shaking his head here. Is that what you pay in Jersey? Yeah, we're well. Over, just say we're well over two thousand dollars, and I'm on the second yeah. floor. But it, it's still, it's because I'm in a condo. Technically, it's a single house, but they have a renter on the first floor, and then I'm on the second floor. But right. high risk zone, and we still have a mortgage on the place. Now, my downstairs neighbor doesn't right. have a mortgage, but I do, so I have to cover. But the way we have it, we just split everything 50 50. Okay. And right. it is expensive. It is expensive. Well, it, it is. sounds expensive, yeah. Yeah, when Sandy did hit, yeah. it didn't hit. We're elevated. The house was built in 2002, and we're the lower side still six feet off the ground. So it was still a foot away from where Sandy got to. So we still had no issues with any type of flood or mold or anything like that. But it's still, we have to cover it because I have a mortgage. So if you didn't right. have so the mortgage, if you have a, go ahead, Mike. exactly. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Ron. No, no ahead, I was just going to say exactly. So you're on the second floor and you're still paying pretty high premiums. So imagine, you know, the homes that are that are ground level or even have basements. And I'm not talking about the Jersey Shore necessarily because some of those don't have basements. But anyway, you could see how much higher the premium would be when there's property that's actually in you know that exposure, right? So it gets it gets carried away pretty quickly. The cost of that coverage. So I got a question for you now. Being in the Jersey Shore, I'm seeing a lot of the homes being ripped down and redone. Now, they're up 12 feet. They're, they're making them build 12 feet they're above the higher. soil. They're going up higher. Right? Uh, boy, if we get we get any floods up there from 12 feet, because if, if yeah, worst case, Sandy was five know. feet, uh, 12 feet, that's high. Would you recommend to somebody, if they don't have any mortgage on the property and they're building it and say they build cash, at 12 feet, single house, would you say, hey, listen, uh, probably the best bet is to have flood insurance? It, probably. I mean, you know, it's it's one of those, you just, like most insurance, you just don't know. I, I think the it, it depends on kind of what's below that, that uh, the 12 feet. A lot of times people have, you know, some kind of storage or they have 
some mechanicals or something down there. And it's, what are you trying to protect in that first 12 feet? And if you are and you're and you, uh, trying to protect something and you, and you don't have a mortgage, then getting some flood insurance uh, would be helpful. And you could get very high deductibles and get kind of limited just maybe property coverage instead of throwing in contents, you know, just get the building. So there's ways to kind of scale it down when you when you don't have a ton of exposure. And because it's 12 feet high, uh, you know, and I'll take one quick step back, the National uh, flood insurance program has just kind of re kind of reconfigured their rating and their rating platforms and zones and everything because they kind of before weren't taking a ton of information in specific to the property. It was kind of like if you have a house and it's in this zone, you're in a high risk zone. Everybody gets punched in the nose with a really high premium, but now they're dialing in more because they have more information and say, okay, well let's look specifically at this property in this zone. Well, that one's 12 feet off off the ground. So we should be able to charge a lower premium than the one that wasn't built 12 feet, right? So they're trying to do this and people are seeing some swings in premium both ways. Mm -hmm. um, And it's actually helping quite a bit for people who have taken the steps to actually prevent some flood damage. So I think that's going to continue to improve. So long would an answer to your, to your question is, is I think if you've taken those steps, you could probably get more affordable flood insurance in those situations. Um, And so it might be worth it. So 12 feet is mandated down there now. Yeah, well, Margate, okay. one of our listeners, the contact, they said they had to build, it was like 12 to 14 feet above soil mm-hmm. is where the living space has got to start, which, wow. which is massive. Right. I mean, they, when I was there that one time, I swung by and uh, uh, it's up there. Yeah, it's definitely up there. But I don't see any risk of that happening. If we have a risk, it's going to be a little bit more than flood insurance. We have something like that coming through. That would be catastrophic. That yeah. would be, yeah, yeah you're, t- you're taking everybody out. Yeah, wow. Oh, yeah. Well, here in Bucks County, we had a, about three, four tornadoes in the last year or so that yep. went through Montgomery County and Doylestown, right? Correct. Which would be west of us. But in an area like Tornado Alley, Oklahoma, Kansas, places like that, where they rip through there all the time, is that kind of like a flood insurance program where you have to uh, have to buy into something that's very expensive? No, it's, it's the same. It's the same. I mean, we don't write in all... All 50 states. So there's, there's. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't, I can't say I'm an expert about that. But I was, it's funny time. I was actually just reading an article yesterday that they expect homeowners insurance uh, in Texas to be the highest in the country in the coming years because of exactly like you're saying. I mean, well, there's a lot of obviously a lot of growth there and um, and um, rising home prices and inflation, all those things that are impacting. But that's impacting homeowners insurance everywhere. But then you throw on top of all of the types of uh, weather and disasters that they're having across different parts of Texas, whether it was that freeze and now tornadoes and wind. Um, so it's just driving up the cost of insurance. So, so tornado, there's, there's unlike earthquake or like in Florida where there's specific wind related policies, as far as I'm aware in, in most states, there isn't specific tornado coverage. It would be part of your homeowner's insurance. Again, it's just one of those where it's like, Hey, you're in an area that's prone to it. The cost of that premium for the policy in general it's just going to be continuing to rise and it's going to be hopefully not become, you know, cost prohibitive, but it's probably getting pretty close. I mean, I think they were saying this article that I read that in Texas, the average homeowner's premium right now is about $3,200 a year. So um, that's pretty expensive. The average premium? That's what this article said. Wow. Here. How wow. big are these homes? Wow. <laughs> that's a yeah, lot of money. For, I mean, you money. know, it wasn't, it wasn't uh, $5 million homes. I mean, it was, you know, tr- traditional homes as, you know, it's uh, probably, Newer construction, so you know, maybe on a little bit of a larger side, but it wasn't, uh, you know, where they weren't talking about insuring the homes of celebrities. So if you if you're thinking about buying a house in Tornado Alley, you got to expect to pay premiums for that kind of insurance the same way people on in Florida or wherever pay for flood insurance, right? 
It, that's exactly what it sounds like. I mean, mm-hmm. it's it's becoming that, um, and so I think it, you know a lot of people look at and some of the, the insurance companies that we represent specifically design themselves to not uh, to only write coverage in certain states to try to protect themselves against some of the you know the more common weather areas. But now, as you were mentioning, it's kind of starting to pop up everywhere, right? So it's harder yeah. for them to say, well, we don't have to worry about tornadoes in Bucks County um, because it, that hasn't been the case in the last year or two. No, I mean, we had some the year before that, too, didn't we? Yeah, one or two. Yeah, but yeah. Last year was a pretty <clears throat> very vicious, active, yeah, very active time. year. Yeah. And when they come through, they just rip everything to shreds. Yeah, and these are, these are light yeah. tornadoes compared to the ones that are up oh, in the Midwest. Yeah, absolutely. Some of those F4 or oh, yeah. fives are, yeah, that we, we had, it was like one or two here, where the two will, it will take some of the older homes down, uh, did some damage. A lot of it was just roof damage, uh, siding blown off, uh, porches blown down. So it wasn't catastrophic like they see well, down there. Well, that one area in Doylestown where it came across, uh, I think it was 313, Route 313, it really ripped those houses apart. Yeah, a couple of sheared yeah. the, a couple of the homes through yeah, there. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's a lot of tree. We, we experienced a lot of tree damage from it. Obviously, uh, you, you go to those areas where they hit. I mean, it just looks like something, you know, drove right through the tops of all the trees. But, you know, when they're taking off the tops of the trees, those trees are landing somewhere, right? So a lot of it was landing on homes and garages and cars. And so it wasn't as much of like total destruction of a house. It was more... We got a massive tree laying on it. Now we got the cost of picking up the tree, removing the tree, and then building or repairing whatever was underneath that thing. Let's go back to the Yellowstone River again because that that was a once in five hundred year flood. Nobody expected that to happen. You know, it's great for rafting. <laughs> I don't think I'd want to try that. Will they experience a hike in rates now because of that, or since it was just a one time event, can they are they safe now? Hey, I, it's I, I wouldn't anticipated to be some kind of immediate re- immediate reaction mm-hmm. to it uh, and like i said they you know they're constantly studying the data in areas around you know and, and recreating these kind of flood maps and zones and kind of assigning levels of exposure and risk which each so when you have this kind of one-off event it's obviously something that's like hey, okay hey, we, we got to make note of this but you don't see for the most part, insurance companies react that quickly and say, oh, that's one now that we got to throw in there. So if it's something happens similar or, or maybe smaller again in, in an area like that, then it's like, all right, now we have a little bit more data. This is, you know, the second time we probably have to start doing something about that. So, okay, so I wouldn't the, expect it to be. If you lived along the Yellowstone, and people do, uh, if you lived along the Yellowstone and your house is paid off, okay, and you chose not to get it, so you, basically you're on your own, right? Right. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Like a lot of those people in Florida with, with, uh, yeah. with Ian. I mean, unfortunately, lots of the little homes in Fort Myers and people live there for 100 years and they just said, I'm not worried about it uh, or I can't afford it. And so they have nothing now to help. I think Fort Myers, uh, in particular, Fort Myers, Bonita, places along there, a lot of older people live there. Okay. And yeah. they're probably having huge problems right now to rebuild their house if they didn't have flood insurance. I don't know how they do it. How would they? How would you work that out? If you're like seventy no, something years old, no, I think they just old. walk away, right? I mean, a lot of them just end up. Last year, last year we went down to for the first time it was in Sanibel Island, and that is it's gone basically. And it was a lot of uh, seniors kind of retiring to there. Yeah, some nice little houses, and we can't even get there actually. <laughs> well, no, they, they were, the causeway. The causeway is they have it repaired. They, and I, I talked to somebody who's. Who has a friend of mine's got a, a house in, in uh, Captiva. As a matter of fact, he's headed the HOA there, and he said the causeway is um, yeah. They're taking big trucks over it, and because they got they got Good. a lot of materials Good. they have to get in there, you know, materials, yeah, heavy equipment just mm-hmm. to get rid of all the debris. Yeah, but, things can yeah. be built back. It's just what's the cost of what what's that's going to be doing. 
But what you always got to look for the future is when you're building to build for the future, which means building higher, building better, more wind sustainability, uh, more for storm surge. If you build for that, then I can see the damage being a lot less as sure. you go along. The, these older homes were, were built for you know, 110 mile hour winds, no storm surge. And that's where a lot of that got ripped out. Look, the one gentleman, he said when he rebuilt the house after Charlie in 2004, he had his built up 14 feet yeah, right. off of mm-hmm. concrete pillars. He mm-hmm. had no damage whatsoever because mm-hmm. the storm surge went under the house and it, it's breakaway walls where it just break away the walls, but your, your pillars are still there and your house is still standing. Yeah. By the way, Mike, we, when we did the series on Florida, we, we, we uh, tackled uh, Sanibel and we tackled Captiva. And then in the third week we had an architect on Ilya Azarov, who's a brilliant guy and he has designed and is building on the East coast here and on the West coast, a house that will withstand 150 mile an hour winds and it's got scuppers in the side. So it automatically releases water. So the water doesn't push the walls out. Oh, wow. And it doesn't cost that much more to build than a normal house. I think you said 10%? Yeah, 10% to 20% delta? in that yeah. area, depending on what size of the house you're going with. But it's a great way to build. You're, you're looking at something that's going to be a little bit more permanent. Yeah, if you don't want to go sure. through this in your life, it seems to me the people who in, in tornado-prone areas and flood-prone areas take a better way out, build a better house, so you don't have to go and through th- this. That was the thing here in America. With me being a builder, we've never made super strides to get to that point because it is it's costly for homeowners to rebuild this way but if you got to look at the long run like Ilya said it's you're looking at more cost up front but less cost in the end insurance companies would love to have this because they know that there's not going to be as much or if any damage absolutely absolutely like do you know of any any move in the in the um uh, insurance industry where they are promoting uh, architects to come up with uh, with ideas that will withstand the severe because severe weather I think is going to be staying with us for a long time here. Well, we always had severe weather. I, I agree. Yeah, I, they they should be. I can't say that, and we represent a number of companies and obviously some national carriers that are faced with it. And I, I can't say that we've seen any significant uh, movement. Uh, they should. I mean, they, they, there's some there's been some rumbles about some discounts on things for green building and and those type of. Uh, you know, environmental friendly uh, options, but uh, you know that doesn't really, for the most part, help them at claim time. You know, sometimes insurance companies it's frustrating because they're very reactive, right? I mean, it's you have that house that has a really large tree looming over the the building, and it's not in great uh, in great way. And and we have a customer that'll call and say, "Hey, can I submit a claim to the insurance to come to you know pay the, for the cost to remove this tree before it falls on my house?" And he said, well, that's not, insurance isn't triggered by that. And the, the insurance would be triggered once it falls on your house, right? And so you would think insurance companies say, hey, we'd rather spend 3000 bucks to cut that tree down instead of waiting for it to fall on the house and causing hundreds of thousands of dollars of damage. But that's not how the policies are written. And, and they, so it is a little bit frustrating that they're slowed uh, and, and kind of more reactive than proactive. Well, that's uh, what we're talking about. We have a lot of a ton of money. roofing areas where I, I know there's, there's billions and billions of dollars to be claimed with roofing. And a lot of people are trying to claim damage of the roof. And I, I said, listen, insurance is there Storm for damage. accidental, damage, right? not yeah. maintenance. Mm-hmm. If your roof's right. old, put a new roof on. That's the welcome to homeownership. I hate to say to people, but that, that's what it is. I'm not, is right. I, I, I know some people hate to hear the truth, but if you have that house, and literally those roofs that are blowing off that are 25, 30 years old, and the shingles already have a 20-year life expectancy, uh, they need to be replaced. Because that really, when you start putting all these claims in on minimal damage, I mean, I don't want to get too far into this because I know we can do it another time, but it's yeah. just, it's costly for for the insurance company. Then they're just passing the, state, the uh, cost on to yeah. homeowners across the, the nation for this. 
So exactly. maybe if you have a problem, fix your roof ahead of time so you don't have these problems. Or be careful about who you're dealing with when you get your roof done. If somebody drives into the neighborhood and has got a North Carolina plate or something like that, <laughs> yeah. you say, oh, you, your roof needs to be replaced. How's it that yeah. I'm 30 Good years old? I've done roofing or I had my guys do the roof or subs that I keep an eye on that do roofing. Why do I never had people calling me back in 30 years with all these storms, but let alone everybody else is getting new roofs every, every development you're seeing people's canvassing throughout yeah, there. Yeah. What is a named storm deductible? What is that? Deductible. Yeah. Yeah. So as I was mentioning earlier, you know, um, with hurricanes and, and some other wind type events, some insurance companies out there will say, we're going to provide you coverage. It's part of the policy anyway. But if this is a named storm like an Ian, uh, you know, a Nicole, whatever, there's actually a specific name to the storm, whether it's a tropical storm or a hurricane, then we're going to apply a different deductible to the damage that you incur as opposed to your normal property deductible. So if you bought a policy with a thousand dollar deductible, I just saw one the other day, a customer who came to me has all state and it's not, I'm not trashing all state by any means. It's just their, their policy had a named deductible named storm deductible of 10,000. So they thought they had a thousand dollar deductible, but that would have been for any, any other type of loss other than damage from a name storm. And if they had damage from a name storm, they're paying the first 10,000. So uh, I never, it's just I something never, to be aware of. Never realized yeah. that. Now, does Erie have that name storm deductible? They do not. No, oh. they, you can actually, their, their policy is customizable that if you wanted to add a name storm deductible, you could, and it would reduce the cost of the premium. As an agent, I don't do that. We just keep the same deductible for any type of loss. It's just easier for a customer to, uh, to understand and experience. Uh, but there are a lot of companies that actually will just automatically mandate it or their policy. They call it name storm. Some other will say wind hail deductible. Um, and sometimes it's just a, a much higher number or even a percentage of the, the coverage. So uh, it can get um, – those deductibles can, can be pretty high pretty they fast. They can climb. I'm going to check that out of my policy. Well, I never heard of that. Check it out of your policy. Down the yeah. shore, yeah. Well, when you stop yeah. think about it, every hurricane is a named storm, right? Right. Yeah. They call them cat storms, yeah. catastrophe yeah. storms. Yeah. Oof. Yeah. So I would check your policy, if, uh, especially the one in Jersey. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, Absolutely. Okay, that's it. That's interesting. I never, I never heard of that before. I never realized it. If your car's in a garage and it gets swept away, and it's in Naples after that, inundated with water or whatever, mm-hmm. does your homeowners cover that? Does your car insurance cover that? So anything that happens to your car would be paid by your car insurance. Car insurance, coverage, even assume, though it's parked in your you garage. Have. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we've had it. Where let's say if a house fire starts and the, the car catches on fire, the physical damage to the car will be covered under your comprehensive coverage, assuming you have it under your auto policy. Most people do, but if it's an older car and then people only carry liability coverage, they, they wouldn't have comprehensive that uh, that physical damage coverage. But yeah, water damage, uh, hail hits it, a tree falls on it, any of those types of things, even whether it's in your garage, in your driveway, wherever. Uh, we we that's you know companies that don't have that write property insurance, let's say in Florida, like Erie, for example, they don't write in, in Florida, but we have a ton of claims going on right now from Ian for people down there on vacation with their cars and their cars were flooded. They were hit by trees. They were blown away. They're gone. And so their car insurance policy in Pennsylvania has comprehensive coverage and is paying for their lost or damaged cars. I heard a story of a guy who he's right. He's not too far. He's right, right over the uh, Captiva line from Sanibel. From Canada, he had two Bentleys in his garage. Both mm. of them, both yeah. of them got absolutely trashed. That's oh. that's where you want to get out the crying towel, right? Yeah. What, what a loss that for for the insurance company. Oh, what a horrible. loss that is. 
I know Erie offers earthquake insurance. I've got, I'm probably the only person in my, in my development has earthquake, in, earthquake insurance. But I remember a couple of years ago, you, got, you felt the shaking mm-hmm. when, that, when it happened in, uh, in Virginia, and we felt the, the rocking here. What does it cost, and what does it cover? I would tell you in our area, there's not many people that, that have it just because, you know, it's, it's not a, a common exposure. So cost-wise, in our area, it's pretty inexpensive, right? As if you're in California, it's going to be the reverse. Oh, yeah. It's like, you know, wind damage in, in Florida. You know, so I, around here, it generally comes with a deductible. And again, you choose it, and it could be a pretty high deductible. A lot of people for earthquake coverage will choose a higher deductible. And so, like, let's say you did a 5% deductible. I mean, it covers the cost, obviously, to repair or replace whatever is damaged from the earthquake, subject to your deductible. And, you know, in our area, you know, um, five county area in Pennsylvania, you know, maybe on average, depending on the size of the house, maybe it's costing $100, $150 a year or something. So it's not very expensive. So there's going to be a lot of people that if there is a significant earthquake, you're going to look back and I'm one of them because I actually don't even have it on my own homeowner's insurance, but look back and say, oh, why didn't I spend 150 bucks like Ron did <laughs> to get my uh, my home rebuilt? You know, obviously in other areas, the part of the country, it's quite a bit more expensive. Yeah, Ron's proud of it. He's a, there's only three people in the tri-stater that have <laughs> earthquake insurance, and he <laughs> prides himself true. that he's one of those three. No, I always, I always, uh, Frank's shaking his head. He's going to get it now, too. Uh, I always err on the side of caution. I always do. Okay, so I figured, you know, and I wouldn't have done it if we hadn't felt that shake in uh, with the, the earthquake yep. in Virginia. They cracked the Washington Monument, I think. Big and growing problem, identity theft. Is our reliance on technology making it easier for the bad guys to steal identities? I got to believe the answer to that is yes, right? Exactly. Yep. Does Erie offer insurance that protects against identity theft? They do. Most insurance companies nowadays are including some version of identity theft, and they're called identity theft recovery expense coverage in, as part of the homeowner's policy. And, you know, quite frankly, it's very inexpensive, 25 to $50 a year. And it's, I don't want to say, I don't want to, you know, diminish the value of it, but, you know, it's, it's somewhat limited in what it does and what it was designed to do. Uh, And it's, and really, you know, high level, it's like, hey, if you have identity theft and you incur expenses uh, as part of the recovery process, so there's fees related to a bank, you have to hire an attorney, the expenses related to recovering your identity is what the insurance companies are willing at this point. I think it's going to, the coverage is going to evolve, but that's what they're willing to help you with. Uh, and they'll cap it at like, you know, 25,000 or something like that. Mm-hmm. So um, <clears throat> it's not the, you know, bad guy gets into my computer, hits my bank account, steals $10,000 out of my bank account. I need that $10,000 back. And, hey, insurance company, help me. And they're going to say, well, no, that's not what this does. It's, did you incur any fees? Did you have to hire an attorney? Did, what did you have to do? The one big benefit of the, this identity theft coverage that most of these companies are giving you is they, they give you like case management services, they're calling it. So my concern and why I put it on my own policy is like, hey, if this happened to me, I wouldn't even know where to start. No, I wouldn't either. Right? How do I, you know what I mean? And so the case management, the adjuster that they're going to sign to help you through that, at least would be a good resource of saying, these are the things that you should be doing. Now, some of those things aren't even part of the coverage, uh, nor would they pay for, but at least there's somebody to kind of walk you through it. So for the, for the low expense that's, that these companies are selling this coverage for, it's, it's, in my opinion, definitely worth it. And actually, a lot of companies are just automatically including it now. So some people may have and they didn't even know they do. So with Erie, even though a particular action uh, with identity theft isn't covered, <clears throat> they will still help you 
or guide you through the process of getting through that, right? Once the claim is triggered, they assign an adjuster like they would for anything else, and they would say, hey, this is what we need to be doing, and then let us know and, and send us, you know, the expenses that you're incurring, and we'll be kind of picking those, picking through those and paying those. You know, a lot of, a lot of times customers will say, well, do I need this if I have LifeLock, or should I get a similar service to LifeLock? And I would tell you that those, those and I don't know all the benefits of something like LifeLock, but those are in my opinion, more comprehensive because they're doing a whole bunch of other services like monitoring your credit and all of these and monitoring act, fraudulent activity. All this, the insurance companies aren't doing it. They're, again, somewhat reactive saying, this happens to you, you have expenses, we'll help you out with them. Um, so having the combination of both, you know, one of those kind of you know, credit monitoring type services and having identity theft on your policy is probably a good idea. Do you see an uptick in the number of people who are buying into it? We definitely see an uptick in people that are asking about it, yes. And then they find that it's so inexpensive or part of their policy already, and so they're happy that they have it. We don't see a ton of, quite frankly, a ton of claims, which is it makes the insurance companies happy. But most of the times, it's one of those like, well, they hit my credit card and charged these five things, and my credit card you know, removed it from it and stopped it and got me a new card. It's like, well, okay, there was really no expense incurred or anything, right? And so there's, we haven't seen a ton where they're actually having to pay a lot of expenses. But I think as, as the bad guys keep getting better at it, it'll, it'll, it'll get worse. And it'll get worse. And, uh, you know, you might, it might even evolve into a different type of insurance too, as the bad guys get oh, better definitely. at it. Yeah. The most of your companies who come for identity, identity theft protection come to you before or after the cow gets out of the barn? <laughs> Usually after, or, or it's yeah. either happened to them or someone in their family or a friend, and then they say, hey, do I have this? And that's with most things, right? And people ask about life insurance after they have a family death or something, right? So it's usually not on your radar until you until you feel it or somebody around you experiences it. Do you write a lot of seniors for it? Because uh, seniors are, you know, they get prey to targeted. Yeah, they get targeted. They do. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely something that when we're dealing with seniors that we'll make sure that they are aware that they either have it or should look into it. Just because, like you said, either they're not experienced with this, as experienced with computers, whatever it may be, a little bit more prone to it. We, we we try to make them aware of it. Well, this has been very educational. I mean, I learned some things that I never dreamed of before, like the name storm deductible. Yeah, would it be a you want, you want to look, right you want now? To that, yeah. <laughs> hey, Kev, great news on how our listeners can tap into their home equity without taking a loan, making monthly payments, or piling on debt. With Unison, they get up to 17.5% of their home's value to remodel, pay off debt, buy a vacation home, whatever. You have Unison, right? Yep, paid off medical debt. Unison's terms were perfect for me, especially zero monthly payments for up to 30 years. Zero monthly payments? How do they make money? When you sell your home, you pay them the original co-investment amount plus a percentage of the change in your home's value up to 30 years later. How do we learn more? Go to unison.com backslash YVH, which stands for Your Valuable Home. Again, that's unison.com backslash YVH. Additional terms and conditions apply. Visit unison.com backslash YVH for details. Remember the name Provia, your single source for professional class, entry doors, storm doors, patio doors, vinyl and wood clad vinyl windows, vinyl siding, manufactured stone and metal roofing, products made with latest technology and honest old world craftsmanship. The Provia way. That's this week's podcast. Your Valuable Home comes to you every week on the new Pod City Podcast Network, Apple Podcasts, and all other popular podcast directories. If you want us to share your home improvement project or horror story, email me at kevin at yourvaluablehome.net. That's kevin at yourvaluablehome.net. And don't forget to tell your friends and family about Your Valuable Home, the weekly podcast that's all about building wealth in residential real estate and hiring the right contractor to do the right job at the right price. 